So we're in for a bit of a treat this morning. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we came back from teen camp, that we were going to share with you a little bit of, of what that experience was like. And I would like to invite Randy Guthrie and Rydell Hemmings, as well as Reverend Patrick Cameron, our spiritual leader, forward. And Rydell and Randy are going to share a little bit, just a taste of teen camp. So I'm going to invite Randy to start. And... Um, Randy Guthrie has been elected one of our youth leaders for our integrated group. And so out of our 450 kids at camp, Randy was one of our nine new youth leaders. So please welcome Randy. Hello, I'm Randy. And uh, this year it was my fourth summer camp. And it was a very different summer camp because it was the fu- first fully integrated camp between international and United Centers. And this camp was a huge step forward for our organization because our Science of Mind youth are guiding the way to become fully integrated with our sister organization. The leadership team leading this movement consists of nine teens, and I'm privileged to say that I am part of this. My position is called the ambassador, and my job is to spread the word of our teaching locally and even internationally. I have the job of networking all of our teens so we can all keep connected throughout the year. That's through Facebook or MySpace or chats or blogs, and it's really a great experience. So there are two other positions on the team. And one is to plan seminars that we, the youth, go to. And the other is to communicate with all of you, the adult community of the teaching. And being on this leadership council is such an honor. And the opportunity to expand our youth program of our teaching is a really exciting and fulfilling experience. The teens of a science mind teaching are the leaders of today and tomorrow. And at this camp, I really discovered my inner leader, and I really let that guide me. And so I know those who attend camp learn and discover themselves more deeper than ever before. And it is a moving experience to watch the process, but it's an even greater experience to experience it. So thank you for the opportunity for us teens to go to the seminar and shed our lights. So as I also shared with you a couple of weeks ago, we uh, had the opportunity to present something called The Great Awake each morning. And on the very serious Canada Day, we shared a guided visualization that we would like to share with you now. Okay. Written by our group. Yeah. So we were down there for Canada Day, so we had to make it it special for us Canadians. And it was pretty cool because we were the only Canadian group there. Um, My name is Rigel, and this was my second summer camp. So, I invite you to close your eyes, take a deep breath, and go within. You are about to embark on a journey to a faraway land. Feel the softness of your moose skin quilt as you wake up to Nickelback on the alarm clock in your igloo. You look to the side towards your thermometer. It's minus 30 degrees Celsius, and today it is going to be cold. Suddenly, you experience a craving for ketchup chips and Tim Hortons. You roll out of bed, put on your moccasins, and grab your bag. You put on long johns, two pairs of wool socks, a toque, sweaters, and your warmest parka. And don't forget your snowshoes. As you step outside, you realize you need maple syrup, so you decide to take your huskies instead of your polar bear because it is sleeping. 
You make your way to the store. As you get there, the storekeeper is stacking hockey sticks, waiting for the rush of the Olympics to die down. You move toward the back of the store, passing a washroom and some pop. As you pay for your syrup and start to leave, you find a loony on the ground. You're feeling pretty prosperous today. We all know with all the seriousness of camp and inner work that laughter is also good for the soul. So thank you all for supporting our teens to go to teen group. Thank you. Good morning and welcome. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing a song or stay seated and sing a song with me and then we'll do a prayer. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear A spirit, one spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room I invite you to know with me, recognizing the one life, the one power, the one perfect life, Spirit's life, God's life, and claiming it as my own in this moment, each one of us in our hearts and minds, opening to that idea, that reality, and that truth. So grounded in that knowing, know every good thing, in the awareness that bubbles up for us, that makes itself known in this moment or each moment hereafter, whatever it may be, we have the wisdom and the clarity to embrace it, to pull it close, to be in life intimately, to be with ourselves intimately, to celebrate all of life, to live fully in the four landscapes of the body, the mind, the heart, and the soul. So I just give thanks this day, knowing that we come together in this vibration of the Most High. We celebrate it through music, through the spoken word, through the fellowship, and and, and simply by being mindful of that beautiful vibration that we are immersed in. For this I give thanks, knowing that every good thing is conspiring in every good way for each and every one of us. I release these words and together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. So please be seated. I'm going to ask Brian to set up a, a, play, a play a song with us that I've, I've done, we've done one other time here. But, but as we go into it, I want to set it up just a little bit with you all in that when we spent time with Elizabeth Lesser a couple weeks ago, she talked about sitting in meditation. And today is really about being married to amazement, uh, is the title of the chapter. We've been looking at the spiritual practices, because practices are very, very important to have in our lives. Otherwise, we're just off on our own devices. And it's important to be grounded in some spiritual practices. And one of the things that she talks about in preparing for meditation is the, the body's position, to sit upright with our head high, shoulders open, and to be in that relaxed state of, of welcome, that dignity of spirit, 
And she also suggests that when we, we sit in meditation, to not even rest our backs against the back of the chair, but to slide ourselves forward on our chair and, and just to um, hold that position for ourselves. And so what I'm going to invite you to do while we sing this song, it's, a, it's based on a, a Rumi poem entitled Come. And it was written and put together by an artist who's amazing, and actually we're working on inviting him to Edmonton at some point in the future, by the name of Shimshai. So if you're interested in hearing him perform it, if you Google, go on YouTube and, and type in Shim, S-H-I-M-S-H-A-I, Shimshai, you'll find this song, and he, is the, he wrote the, the music to this. And I'm going to ask Brian to play it and sing it, and I'll sing along with him. I'm going to invite you, because it's a very simple chant, to sing along uh, with it as well. Another of the practices that Elizabeth Lesser recommends is that when we breathe in, to breathe out with a silent awe. So I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to sit up on your chair rather than with your back. It keeps us from slumping. And to stand, sit in that dignity. Take a breath in with me. And that silent awe out. And as we relax into this, and as you find a word or a phrase that you is comfortable, if you'd like to sing it, be mindful of that breathing pattern as well. Try and sing it on that breath. And so, Brian, let's do it.
whoever lover of leaving can come. Come, whoever you are, a citizen, a caravan of despair. Come, come, whoever you are, a wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving can come. Come, whoever you are, a citizen, a caravan of despair. And it doesn't matter if you've broken your vows a thousand times before and yet again. Come again, come and yet again, come. Come 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 again, come. And yet again, come. Thank you, Brian. Come again, come. It doesn't matter if you've broken your vow a thousand times or more. This isn't a caravan of despair. Rumi wrote in the 14th century. He's the most popular prose writer on the planet today. But it's a, such a beautiful chant to remind us to come back. Come where? Come back to this moment. It's the only, this is the only moment. This is the eternal moment right now. That's such a beautiful song. Such a beautiful chant. And so the more we hear it, the more it becomes part of us. And we can always call ourselves back when we bolt in uh, one of the chapters in, in Janine Roth's book, Women, Food, and God, she talks about the practice of bolting. And bolting is when we break our vow a thousand times or more. I'm never going to do this again. Promise ever again. As we rest our head against the cold porcelain as we're on the floor in the bathroom. <laughs> or wherever we may be making that vow. I was in, I was in university one day. I remember in a past lifetime... So married to amazement, and it's being willing to be awed by life, and, 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 and that's really just a doorway that opens for us. It's not about, we have to go to the Grand Canyon to be awed, although the Grand Canyon is a, quite an awe-inspiring experience. It's, it's hard to take it all in, and it's, it's even difficult for me to describe it, but you'll have to go there if you haven't been sometime. Mary Oliver said that when death comes, when it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride to amazement. For, for us guys, we can be grooms to amazement, but we know what, what, we, what she means. And Mary is actually still alive. She lives in Massachusetts. She was born in Ohio. She moved to Massachusetts, and <clears throat> she was inspired by the writings of Walt Whitman and uh, Henry David Thoreau. And her poetry is very much connected to nature, and she's a, just an amazing consciousness. When death comes, when it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride to amazement. And as Janine Ross says, and I agree with her, I want to be able to say the same thing. It's, it's, it's living in the amazement and the wonder and the surprise and the delight of life as well. And when we trust 
Last week I talked about that any unmet emotion keeps us from knowing ourselves. And when we don't know ourselves, we don't trust ourselves. And so it's so important, and that's faith. When we trust ourselves, when we can rely on the grounding of our own being, even when things are really bad, to be able to trust the grounding of our own being, that's faith. That's spiritual practice. To be able to come back to that. But if we don't have that foundation, if we haven't had the conversation, if we don't trust, it's very difficult to go there. And so we have that free-floating anxiety. <clears throat> so I want to share with you a... A story, I have a dear, dear friend in ministry by the name of Reverend Maureen Hoyt, Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Maureen Hoyt. And she's probably the reason why I'm still in ministry, because when I got into ministry initially and I met all the other ministers, I thought, hey, what am I doing with this group of people? And so I either need to thank her for that or I need to blame her for that one way or the other. And it depends on what day you're talking to me. But anyway, Maureen and I talk quite frequently, and this week we were talking, and she has a new spiritual teacher in her life, and she has a five-year-old um, granddaughter, Sydney. And so Sydney gets together with Grandma every Friday and they go swimming. That's her activity. And so Maureen has an apartment where they have a big swimming pool and she takes Sydney swimming. And Sydney's mom was there, Heather. And so here's Grandma, Reverend Maureen, Mom, Heather, and, and five year old Sydney. And Sydney's in the pool splashing around and Mom and Grandma are sitting by the pool watching her. And so Sydney <coughs> stands up and she says, Grandma, Momo, she calls her Momo, Reverend Maureen, Momo. What's your wish for today? What is your wish for today? And she said, well, today is uh, Friday, and I would like to not have to prepare dinner tonight. And so Sydney goes over to the edge of the pool, and she knows how to dive now, so she dives down into the pool. And she stays down for, you know, 10 seconds, and she pops up, and she says, God says you got it. You got your wish. And Maureen says, great, great. And so she asked, she asked Maureen, um, uh, she got out of the pool again, and says, what's another wish? And so she gave her another wish. She didn't tell me what it was. And Sydney dives down into the pool, pops back up and says, you got it. God says you've got it. And so her mom, she says, mom, what would you like for a wish? And so her mom, Heather, says, well, you know that speeding ticket that I just got from the police? I'd like that taken away. I'd like that, I, I'd like that to just wonderfully and beautifully disappear. So Sydney gets by the edge of the pool, and she dives in, and she pops back up. She says, I just talked to God, Mom, and he says, you're on your own on that one. <laughs> so Maureen, Sydney's getting back up to, to take another wish, another request. And Maureen says, Sydney, what are you doing? And she said, well, what I do is I, I ask for the, I need to have the wish. And then when I dive in the pool and I dive down, I can see my God book. And I can read my God book. And when I can read the God book, it gives me the answer. And then I come back up and I tell you what, what the God book said. And uh, Maureen says, really, Sydney? She goes, yeah. She says, Momo, everybody's got a God book. Everybody has a God book. And I thought, isn't it amazing? From the mouth of babes, you know, we talk about one mind, the, the mind of spirit, the mind of God, whatever we want to call it this one divine intelligence that we all tap into. And over the years, we've seen it played out on the planet. But here's this little five-year-old diving into the pool. That's her ritual. She dives in and she gets the answer. But she's open. She's permeable. You know? We were born wild and free. And then we got domesticated somewhere along the line, if you know what I mean. Most of us did, anyway. And so it's, it's, uh, it's the wonder and the amazement of where our teachers come from. And the lessons, married to amazement. Married to amazement. So Janine Roth in this chapter, she talks about the mind. And we teach the science of mind. 
And she shares a bit of her story. Now, I love this because I love it when the story is real and we can all relate to it. And I, I can relate to this story. If you can't, you know, I, I'm sure you'll tune me out shortly, but I, I really appreciate what she has to say here. And she's talking about years and years of spiritual practice, years and years of mindfulness, years and years of inquiry. We've talked about bolting. We talked last week about inquiry, of, of looking at ourselves. Why are we feeling this way? Why do we want to do the things that we want to do? And not just in, in, in particular moments, but in all moments, so that we're living a conscious, awake life. And so <clears throat> she shares this in chapter entitled Married to Amazement. She said, last night I went to bed rather cheerfully. Matt, and Matt is her husband, had just returned from a week-long work trip. Twelve double bowls of beauty peonies were blooming in my garden, and I, had a, and I had a productive writing day. Also, the earth had survived yet another 24 hours without a nuclear blast. Life was good. And then came the middle of the night. My mind, which had been in repose during the previous 86 times I'd woken up, started playing its familiar tune. And these, more or less, are the tunes. Joe, our contractor who has installed a leaky roof, still hasn't returned my call. I bet he's not intending to. I'm going to have to call a lawyer, but it's probably going to cost so much to pay the, the damn lawyer, but by the time I get done forking out the cash for those bills, I could have gotten a new roof. The effing contractor. I need to call the lawyer first thing in the morning. My throat hurts. I wonder if I have esophageal cancer and what the symptoms are. Is my computer on? Maybe I should go up <coughs> and look up the signs of, of throat cancer. I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm getting old. Soon I'm going to die, and since Matt will die first, I'll be alone. Men always leave first. <clears throat> Why didn't we have children? I know people are asking, <clears throat> say that having children so that you'll have someone to take care of you when you're old and no one else cares is a good idea. But what were we thinking when we said that? And what were they thinking? Maybe it's not too late to adopt. We could go to Russia, maybe even the town where our grandparents came from, if I knew which one it was. Latvia, Litvia, Minx. Are those even real words? I'd have to spend months there. At least we could drink vodka, but first I'd have to like the taste of it. It's late. I need to go back to sleep. I think I'll get a glass of water. Water! California had its driest spring in 156 years. Soon there won't be any water. The earth is either going to be scorched or underwater, and we're definitely living in a scorched part. Oh, man. I better learn to eat roots and tree stumps and leaves starting tomorrow. Because of what, <clears throat> what if Matt dies and I'm old and alone and haven't learned how to eat stumps yet? I'm going to Google adopting in Russia first thing in the morning after I call the contractor or maybe the lawyer. So it just goes on and on and on. So I know some of you, at least a few of you, you can relate to that. So what she says on the next page, and I think this is very poignant and important, she says, the mind, as Catherine Ingram says, is mad. And this is, a very, and this is very good news. Because once you accept the madness, once you stop trying to reform what cannot be reformed, you can pay attention to what isn't mad, which in my opinion is one of the main purposes of meditation. So the reason we meditate is to be able to, to filter all those things that come up in meditation and so that we can just realize that's part of that, that's part of that conversation, the egoic self. And, it's, and then it becomes, and it's not about, there used to be this idea, not, it, not anymore, but there was an idea back in the 70s that we would kill the ego. Well, actually, we need the egoic structure to keep going. It all has a part to play. All of the pieces are important. It'd be like having an automobile with no carburetor. You'd have all the potential of it, but you just wouldn't have anything to mix the fuel. So it could go, you have to have all of it. But it's understanding and working with ourselves, and that's the spiritual practice 
She had a woman say to her in my, she said, a woman in my retreat asked her about meditation. She said, why on earth would anyone want to meditate? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why would anybody want to meditate? I know a lot of people don't have meditation practice. Why would we need to meditate? Doesn't it seem silly? Why would I want to sit quietly, she asked, when there's so much to do and so much that is infinitely more compelling? And another woman said, my mind is the most interesting thing about me. My mind is what makes me different from other people. My mind is what helped me graduate from Harvard Law with honors. Why would I want to pay attention to anything besides my very smart mind? These are great questions. And the answer is, minds are useful when we need to conceptualize, plan, and theorize. But when we depend on them to guide our inner lives, we're lost. When we depend on them to guide our inner lives, we're lost. And as children, here's little Sydney, five years old, diving down to the bottom of the pool. She's got to practice. She's on a different, she's in a different frequency. She's listening. Born wild and free. And then it's domesticated out of us. Minds are excellent at presenting a thousand different variations of the past and conjuring them into a future and then scaring us with most of them. We make up stories, just like I read her ideas all over the map. I've done that. I've gotten up in the middle of the night. And I do it, when I do it now, it's like, why are you doing this? I even have that kind of, I have the story going, and I'm saying, why are you doing this? Because you know you're just making this stuff up. <clears throat> Most of the time, we don't question our minds. Most of the time, we don't question our minds. In fact, I've seen bumper stickers that say, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> I think we should start selling those in the bookstore. We believe in their lunacy. We have a thought, my contractor is never going to call me back, that evokes a corresponding emotion, anger, anxiety, blame, and we are suddenly on the phone with a lawyer convinced that we hired a thief who is now on his way to Costa Rica with our money, that louse. Or we pass by a bakery window, I love this one, we pass by a bakery window. See, we think it's all, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch. We get this teaching and then we think it's all linear. All of it, all of it, all of it is linear. And I wish it were, I wish life were a straight line. But my life sure hasn't been. It doesn't mean this teaching doesn't work. It's just that we can take it and think, okay, now that I'm master of time, space, and dimension, I control everything in my environment because I think clearly. The challenge is we, we say that we affirm that, and then we have dreams, and we get up, woken up in the middle of the night with a story I just read to you. And so the sum total, it has to, eventually it, it, we reach the tipping point with it, but it takes practice. So she said, we, we pass by a bakery window, and we see a bear claw, and we are suddenly convinced that we have to have it right now convinced that we were born to be standing here at this very window about to walk into the bakery and eat it and get it it's divine providence be transported and then we'll be transported to a bliss realm as soon as we have the bear claw meditation develops the capacity to question your mind is that really true without it you are at the mercy of every thought every desire every wave of emotion is it really true? Is it really appropriate to be scared in this moment? I was watching Oprah this week. They, re- they had a follow-up to this book, Women, Food, and God, by Janine Roth, which has inspired this conversation for the last couple of months. And there was a woman there that said that, that she loved to come home, and if she was sad, she'd reach for the cupcake because the cupcake would make her happy. And she didn't want to give up the cupcakes. And I thought what Janine had to say was so beautiful. She said, what's wrong with being sad? 
I think, it, it, what's wrong with being sad? What's wrong with, with being sorrowful? What's wrong with longing? What's wrong with, with, with any of the emotions that show up for us? And where do we hold them in our body? So in this, this chapter, Janine shares a practice that she calls this, this deep breathing and watching our minds. She said, when you watch your mind, you notice the familiar medallies and you notice which, what is noticing the medallies. The medallies that go on, the songs, over and over and over again. She said, After living through decades of being married to obsession and self-constructed suffering, I have found that being married to amazement means showing up in the only place from which to experience it, here, now, in this very moment. I can relate to that. I can relate to this idea of not... This song, this chant that Sue and, and Brian sang, to put down this idea of not enough... I watched someone walk in just as they were singing um, Not Enough. And if you didn't get the first part of the song, it sounded like we were singing about not being enough. And I thought, well, this is interesting. But it really is about being divorced from that idea because it's just an idea. She talks about belly breathing. She said that, that it, to, to breathe deeply. And when people come to her retreat, and, deep, and, and so from the, the sternum just above the, the, um, your belt line there, the belly. And when most people come to her retreat, they don't like that, this idea of relaxing the belly and breathing deeply. This is some of the feedback she says. <clears throat> after teaching the meditation for five days, I found that people were saying things like, oh my God, I feel like I've been waiting for this belly thing my whole life, waiting for myself to arrive. If you had, and one person said, if you had told me we were going to have to focus on the belly before I got here, I would not have come. I feel like my belly is the size of Arkansas, and so the last thing I want to do is climb inside of it. But I am amazed at what happened. For the first time in my 42 years, I actually feel like I'm here living this life. I'm actually here living instead of pretending to live while I'm waiting to die. I realize now I have a right to be here. I'm not sure what I've been doing all these years, but it hasn't been this. For some people, a 20-minute meditation consists of finding themselves in the middle of a familiar refrain and bringing themselves back to their breath 900 times. For some people, a 20-minute meditation will consist of being lost in one long story only to remember and only at the sound of the bell that marks the end of the 20 minutes that they have forgotten their breath for the duration. Some people are better able to concentrate than others. And some people actually are able to feel sensations like pulsing or tingling or fluttering in their bellies. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you begin the process of bringing yourself back to your body, to your belly, to your breath, because they, and not the mind medleys, are here now. It is only here, only now, that you can make a decision. As she says, to eat or not eat, to bolt or not bolt, to drink or not drink. However we drag her. By definition... Eating compulsively is eating without regard to the body's cues. It therefore follows that when you develop the capacity to steer your attention back to your body and are aware of what it says and are willing to listen to it, compulsion falls away. Dr. Ernest Holmes used to say, I don't know, but something within me does know. When we were with Elizabeth Lesser, she talked about the four landscapes, the first one being the body. And then it was the, the body, the mind, the heart, and the soul, as she called them. And I think it's important that we live in all of them. And I believe our teaching encourages. But it's easy to get stuck up in the mind. It's easy, as, as Elizabeth Lesser says, when her, she took her mother to a doctor. She, her mother was stressed out because her father had passed away. 
And the doctor said to her, have you tried reducing your stress level? Have you tried meditation or tried something that will help you mitigate some of this stress and anxiety you're having? And she said, well, you know, I've read a lot about it. I've read a lot of books about it, and I've heard lectures about it. And the doctor said to her, well, it's one thing to know about it, and it's another thing to do it. And if it's all God, then this body, this physical form is body as well. Elizabeth Lesser and, and Thomas More, when we were at Omega, talked about the soulfulness of life, connecting through the music and through the sharing the meals. I think when we do these house concerts, we do the concert tonight or the Sunday, our Sunday morning is about soulfulness, connection of the soul. And part of that is our, our physical body and to honor it and realize it is a tool that has everything it needs. Mary Oliver has another wonderful poem called Wild Geese that I think speaks so beautifully to this, to be in the world so wonderfully. And she writes, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Your body knows. Your body is divine intelligence. What does it know? Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you about mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscape. Over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. And meanwhile, the, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are headed home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination. Calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. We're always being called. Come again, come. Doesn't matter if we've broken our bow, uh, vows a thousand times or more. We're always being called. But if we, can't, if we can't hear that, it's difficult. Then we stay in the chaos. Then we're not able to dive down to the bottom of our own pool, whatever that practice is, and read our God book. And then we're just not living life as it was intended to be lived. We're here to celebrate life. We're here to live in the body. We're here to live in the mind. We're here to live it from our soul and from our hearts. Yesterday, I had an opportunity. I went over to Northlands. I was invited to do the, the devotional prayer with the jockeys at the racetrack. One of the members of our center is the chaplain over there, and we've been trying to do some things together for a number of years. Anyway, I was invited into the jockey room, and they said, he said, bring a story, but make sure you transpose it into Spanish. And so uh, in, in thinking it over, what could I offer a story, something that, was, that would t- reach all these different traditions and different nationalities? Most of these young men are from... Other countries, Mexico, Barbados, Nicaragua, Ecuador. And so I went over with my guitar and I, I took a prayer that I had written out. I very rarely write a prayer um, to honor their, what they do in their families and the, and the gifts. And I, I worded it in a way that they would understand it, but I included all the five steps of affirmative prayer in it. I just didn't use the words that we use here. And, but what I did for my story is I played the guitar and I sang Imagine to them. And there was just silence in the jockey room as I'm playing. And I don't know whether they're getting this or not. And at the end, they all clapped. And this one little, young, beautiful little jockey, looked like he was 12 years old, stood there. They're all tiny, by the way. Just these fearless, fearless athletes. And he looked at me and went, John Lennon, John Lennon. With it right on. But it was an honor and a privilege to be there. And the day before, the, the top rider over there had taken a real serious fall, broken ribs, uh, broke his arm, collarbone, concussion, really in, in tough shape. And so we, I included that in the prayer. But it was an honor and a privilege to bring our tradition and our consciousness to that. And so rather than a story, to just sing a song with them and to say the prayer. And I'm so proud of our tradition and the, the opportunities that this 
this spiritual community has created in so many lives. And to be able to touch those lives and be touched. I was, I, the, the reward was mine, being with those amazing young athletes. But to have the practices, and, and what, what the, I guess the point I'm trying to make with this, it was the soulful connection. It was the heart-to-heart connection that was so obvious. It was the vibration of the Most High. It's a beautiful thing. So this week, think about, are you, are you coming home to yourself, to your body? And do you, are you able to dive into the depths of your own awareness and read your God book? Because it's right there all the time. And to develop the trust and the love and the beauty and to live a life that is, that is rich and wonderful. That's why we're here. And then we truly are spirit's emissaries in a powerful and wonderful way. So it is.